You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everybody. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. This campaign season, our leading political candidates have indicated that they want to make some game-changing investments in our nation's infrastructure. In a country that seems deeply divided on so many fundamental issues, the need for large investments in infrastructure is seemingly the one place we have a national consensus. At Strong Towns, we understand that America's approach to growth and development is bankrupting our cities, And this begs the question, if we're committed to spending trillions more on infrastructure, how do we do it in a way that actually makes us better off? To answer that question, between now and the election, we are featuring the thoughts and ideas of local leaders, not the people who are handing out the money, but the kind of people who actually have to make this approach work. Today, I've got on the line neighborhood activists turned Seattle mayor, and now back to being a rabble-rousing activist, a podcaster, and a, a good friend of the Strong Towns movement, Mike McGinn. Mike, Mike, welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. Oh, it's great to be on. It's always great to be on this podcast, Chuck. You do such a great job. I really appreciate that. We have our candidates, and we can focus on the big two, but you know, there's a lot of voices in these campaigns, not just at president, but at every level. They all seem to be talking about this need for a, a surge, our buzzword, of the day, a a surge in federal infrastructure spending. Right off the bat, what is your reaction to that notion of uh, us needing a a surge in infrastructure spending? I probably have several thoughts about this, but two things come to mind right away. One is that there's such an enormous maintenance backlog across multiple systems of our nation at city levels, which I know the best. We can see in Flint, you know, the, the problems with their water system are just the tip of an iceberg. It's like water systems across the country are aging. Road systems, um, Seattle has an electric utility and and keeping the electricity humming from the dams to town requires constant capital investment. So there's all of these systems that need upgrading. You add climate change and, you know, fortifying coastlines against rising sea levels. You know, there's, there's tremendous amounts of infrastructure needs. So in one respect, great. And then my other reaction is, and I know that folks at Strong Towns talk about this a lot, is that not all infrastructure spending is good spending. And there's a lot of spending that we could do that is, in fact, very destructive and will cost us more in the long run. And we've done this in the past, too. Um, but there's this belief that any and all infrastructure spending is good and shovel the money out and what you really need is just to build, build, build. And I don't subscribe to that. Um, I think you look at things like building highways through cities. The Northwest decided to build nuclear power plants at one time, and that whole thing went belly up. It was the whoops nuclear debacle that was years ago, and that was, you know, infrastructure. We're taking dams out uh, because we so damaged our natural infrastructure by building big dams. You know, it didn't help with salmon and didn't help with the Native American tribes. So I think there's a lot of very destructive infrastructure spending that you really have to start analyzing what's a good investment and what's a bad investment, and how do you not just let the biggest investments get through because that's what has the political momentum. 
Right now, when Congress allocates, let's say we, in the next session, there's a consensus that we're going to have a, a trillion dollar surge in infrastructure spending, just for a, a nice round number. That money would get allocated in a, a bunch of different ways from Congress. Some of it would just get sent directly to state governments. Some would get through other types of programs like the Tiger Grants and what have you. If you're looking at that amount of money, what do you think are some of the best ways that it would be distributed? Well, cities. I would give it to cities and towns. And I would give it really with not very many strings attached. Uh, You know, have some type of guidance about how they should spend it. But, you know, let's look at a city of Seattle, for instance. We're, by any measure, you know, a very prosperous and successful city. And I don't even know if all the citizens of Seattle or the residents of Seattle know this. We do not have a maintenance plan for residential streets in the city of Seattle, pretty much. All of our maintenance backlog money is being spent on arterials and, and main streets. They're not being spent, you know, there's just big infrastructure needs that we can't even talk about, you know, or don't even talk about politically or publicly. If there's money coming into places like cities and there's just such a local demand there, there's a political demand from residents for, you know, pothole repair and and taking care of the basics, I think you're more likely to see the money to go into basics if you're putting it into the hands of the people that really care about it. What we saw with the the stimulus spending was lots of it was sent to state highway departments. And state highway departments, you know, naturally believe, or state legislatures naturally believe that state needs are the highest and most important need. So a lot of that money went into, into bigger projects. And that isn't where the, the greatest need is. You know, they went into new big projects. I think there's the same danger if you gave it to cities and towns, right? That if there's a big new pot of money, you know, whatever the big project is that's been hanging fire for a while, that's where the political momentum will, will go to. But those projects tend to be smaller than the big projects you would see at a state level. What kind of projects do you think should be funded? And I guess as a corollary to that, is there anything that you think should be off limits? Like this surge money should be spent here, but it should absolutely not be spent over here. I'm a big believer in just, if you can just spend it taking care of what you have first, if there's some way you could guide the money in that way, I think it'd be great. And, and for a few reasons, you know, one is the need. Next, it will guarantee that it gets spread around, that the money won't get sucked into, you know, the latest bridge project or the latest big project that, like I mentioned earlier, that the politics tends to coalesce around. Another thing is that, you know, your typical maintenance or local project will use a lot more labor and a lot less capital. Fixing something normally takes a lot more person time and a lot fewer materials than building something new. There, you're putting your money into the machinery and the materials there's actually a lot less labor per dollar spent. So that's another good reason to have a focus on, on maintenance. I mean, if you're sending crews out to you know, do crack sealing and to do pothole filling or to do spot repairs, maybe fix a section of road, you know, that's labor intensive. Similarly, if you're sending them out to build sidewalks or build bike lanes or you know, build curb bulbs for safe routes to school, all of those things will absorb a lot more labor and spend more money on people than, let's say, you know, let's build a new section of interstate somewhere in, in the state. And finally, I think that those investments tend to generate a lot more of the quality of life improvements. I, I'm 
I'm not sure that they're that we're missing sections of state highway out there right now, you know, or that we're missing sections of interstate that really need to be filled in. I mean, we've built a lot of interstates. We've connected all of the major cities, but we do have a lot of places that could really use just investment in, in the physical infrastructure of the place, getting the streets back up to standard and putting in sidewalks and bike lanes and safe routes to schools. All of those things would in my opinion, generate more economic return than than building another freeway. You said at the beginning that you would give the money to cities without a lot of strings attached. I, I was going to ask you about strings because anytime Congress gets involved in, in allocating money, there's everything from equality of business practices that, that come with it to environmental reviews to, you know, earmarks and, and what the money can actually be spent on. Some of those things, I think maybe we would agree are, are really good. Some of them, you know, not so good. You, know, you said there shouldn't be a lot of strings attached. The downside of that, of course, is going to be that, you know, some of the money will get wasted, at least in the eyes of some people. Is, is that a concern that we should have? Or, or is there a more urgent concern that, that you would have that would you know, maybe lend itself more towards fewer strings than more. When you look at the politics at the federal level and at the local level, you know, they're going to be slightly different. And, and there's a lot of political considerations that I guess are underlying my, my thought process here. One is that there's a real tendency for politicians, elected officials to have a deliverable, right? They want the big project that has the big ribbon cutting. That's the tendency. We see it at our own state level, you know, our state department of transportation has very little discretion on how they spend their money. Almost all of the money is earmarked for this project or that project or that project. And that really hamstrings their ability to be flexible. And I, I think you saw a similar thing at the federal level with the number of earmarks or even the tiger grant process, which is a competitive process, but it's undeniable that, you know, politics will enter that consideration and again, politics tends to coalesce around relatively large projects. So I think back to the 1970s. It was interesting. and It was a Republican initiative to develop community development block grants. And the theory at the time was we're handing out all of these different pots of money with all of these different strings attached. And what we should do is just combine it into a block grant and give greater discretion at the local level on how to spend the money because they have a, a better feel for what local needs are and how to spend it. Now, those strings have not been completely removed, uh, but it was interesting because it was a Republican idea about how to more efficiently spend money. And I think there was merit to that that type of concept. And I, and I think there would be merit in grant money to that too. If you gave pots of money to cities with the proviso that it'd be spent to take care of existing systems rather than build new, you could put a lot of money into those, into, into those buckets and they would be spent very well. I think if you gave large pots of money to cities and towns and said, spend it as you wish, I think you'd see that local politics of, you know, the coalescing around a big major project that everybody can celebrate as an achievement would, would happen too, and the money might not be as well spent. So I, I guess that would be the major thing I would, I would focus on. And I also think if you said when you're doing major repairs, you know, doing major maintenance, you, you also want to meet modern standards for making sure places are walkable, bikeable, and transit-friendly, 
you know, then you're getting a two for one. You're taking care of your existing infrastructure and upgrading it for how people want to use it in the future. And if this is an ideal world, that's not going to happen, of course, right? Because all of that money can't pass through all of the politicians' hands without, you know, people really wanting to direct it to something that, you know, have their fingerprints on it or their imprint on it or their political victory on it. So the, the tendency to push towards, you know, these big monumental projects is almost inexorable, which means that the pressure from the other side, you know, gives cities and towns money they need to upgrade uh, decaying systems, you know, really has to be pretty intense as well to fight back against that. I struggle with this myself, too. I, I, I get the need to spend the money. And, you know, we shouldn't pretend at the local level that this also isn't our money. I mean, it, it's not going to come out of thin air. We're going to have to pay for it somehow. Does it give you any misgivings that this would be a federal surge? Or is that kind of a necessary thing with the the way we've gotten ourselves set up today? Could states and local governments handle this? Or is this something that, that really needs to be done at the federal level? You know, I have really mixed feelings about that point. I mean, there's a reason for the feds to be in the infrastructure field. I mean, we've spoken about interstate highways. I think there are city pairs or combinations across the country where rail could be a great investment, you know, productive ways to connect cities to each other. You know, in the Northwest, Vancouver, Canada, Seattle, Portland would, would be a great rail corridor. You know, and the, the rail corridor in the Northeast is fabulous for those cities. And those are good federal investments to connect places. Another obvious place for federal investment would be um, high-speed broadband. I mean, this is it naturally tends to ruin a monopoly. And frankly, the cable companies and telephone companies are not doing a good job of connecting our nation to each other with really high-speed internet. You know, that's a, a natural place for the federal government to be in. And what you're getting at is, should the federal government be in the local street maintenance business or not? I kind of have those same misgivings. You know, in an, in an ideal world, I think that that taxing authority would be you know, release more down to the local level so that they can make both the revenue and the spending decision. But we're not in that world. So if there is going to be a surge of federal spending, certainly our infrastructure needs, it's, it's, it's how do you monitor it and how do you make sure it's used well in the process. And, you know, I, I suppose there is a role for the federal government, too, in, in trying to set national direction and in, in trying to push and prod cities to do the right thing, um, but they can go in the other direction too, right? You can have floods of federal money coming down to do, as I said in the beginning, really bad things um, in, in terms of damaging places and damaging the natural infrastructure that we also depend on. Right. Seattle has the current national poster child for the, the mega project, especially the, the mega project gone bad, right? The, the tunnel, uh, the Big Bertha Tunnel. What's the price tag on that, Mike? Is it a billion dollars or a billion and a half? Or I can't even remember. It just depends on how you want to measure it. I mean, I think the tunnel itself is, you know, burying the highway is, is somewhere around two billion, one point nine billion, and 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 rising. Um, and but then when you toss in kind of other assorted projects around it, the total price tag was uh, three point one billion. Um, rebuilding the rebuilding the circus street, et cetera. If we were to go back, and I know you were you were vocal in opposition to this project, and I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the alternatives that, that you envisioned. But if we were to go back today 
a while and say, here's 3.1 billion. You can either do A, this tunnel project, or B, spend 3. Point whatever billion on something else. What do you think the flavor of the community would, would have been? Uh, you know, and I, I, I did make that argument, Chuck. Um, I don't know if I made it as cogently as I could, but yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. I think our, to build a municipal broadband network, one that would be owned by the city and would deliver fiber optic to every household in the city, you know, paid for with taxes or, or a mix of taxes and user fees, was somewhere around $600 million. We could connect every house in the city with fiber optic cable, one. Um, we could have completely funded our bike master plan, which is at around, I forget now, 250 to 500 million. Um, but we could have completely funded that. And we had a transit master plan that would have put a surface running rail in dedicated lanes, extended our little starter system and extended it out to more neighborhoods. Uh, that was somewhere around 900 million. I still don't think I've spent the 300, is it 3.1 billion? <laughs> right, yet. right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I still have money left over. We could certainly have done all sorts of safe routes to school with that. You know, we could have put money into portions of our maintenance backlog as, as well. There's, I, hell, we could have, I think, you know, pizza left over for everybody too. We could have a big pizza party with the money <laughs> right. we saved. Right. I mean, there, there's, there's just unbelievable amounts. There's something about the big project. It's like, the economies of scale for lobbyists and for the people who, who benefit from it is so huge, you know, that you just don't see the, the contractors, the, the law firms, the consulting firms, um, the Chamber of Commerce. They don't coalesce around a series of small projects. They coalesce around a big project. And once you do that, it creates a momentum that, you know, sweeps up the elected officials and that's the way most capital budgeting is done. It's not done as to what's going to deliver the biggest benefits for the city. It's done by who's put together the strongest political coalition to put this at the top of the city's agenda. And I think that's the place where federal government could, could have a positive effect if it were inclined to try to set some guidance. Or it could get sucked into the same same type of thinking and, you know, and, and and be a facilitator of that type of, you know, monumental project type of approach. You at the, at the time advocated for a lot of little things, bike lanes, transit improvements. What was the tenor of that conversation? And, and why do you think that things didn't go in the direction you were pushing them to go? Well, number one, I was pretty isolated politically. You know, the, the momentum for the project had captured almost all of the other elected officials. It's hard to be a single voice uh, when everybody else is saying this is, a, this is an essential project that's been debated and decided. In this case, also, the, the tunnel was advertised as a replacement for an aging elevated highway, and there was, in fact, a, a fair degree of political support for that. You know, we need the highway capacity. People really feared what would happen about the loss of the capacity and weren't necessarily believing that you know, a combination of, of, of transit and a surface street and improvements to other roads could meet the needs. So it, it was something about human nature as well that was difficult to overcome. So the politicians had a, had a certain amount of support. Now, obviously, I had some support, too. I, I, this is a key issue in running for office, but it was one that bedeviled me when I was in office as well. And I actually remember being in one town hall and I had a constituent stand up and say to me, 
why don't we just take care of what we have before building all this new stuff? And, and I responded to her by saying, well, you know, that's one of the reasons why I've been raising so many questions about this, this tunnel project. And I remember her reaction was, no, that's different. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just kind of like, oh, there he goes talking about the tunnel again. So there's this, there's this kind of cognitive dissonance here as well. I think the public would, would be very, very supportive. In fact, we put a ballot measure in front of the Seattle public to replace our aging seawall. The city of Seattle is extended out into Elliott Bay. It has a seawall to hold back the waters of you know, Puget Sound. It was built a long time ago in native wood, so it's rotting out. And we put that in front of the public. Like, will you support replacing that with a more modern structure? And they voted over 70% for it because they could see that was a replacement of essential infrastructure, taking care of what we have. So I think the public would be very receptive if you ask them to fund basic maintenance. When they have been to date in Seattle, they are more divided over building something big and new unless they can, unless they can really demonstrate that, they, that it's essential. You know, it's hard, I think, for a regular citizen to, to see these connections, the way in which these major projects are, in fact, using up the tax revenue and using up the capacity of cities, towns, and states to invest in basic infrastructure. The amount of dollars are, in fact, limited politically um, how much money you can raise. And I, I'd be all for, you know, taxing uh, the, the 1% or taxing the rich to get more money for things we need. Uh, but government is essentially about making choices and prioritizing, and it can be very, very difficult in the public discussion to put those choices in front of people. They tend to look at each investment in isolation. Is that, you know, should we spend money on that or not? Would there be a benefit to that or not? And when you put together, as I said, a big enough coalition of, you know, chambers of commerce and unions and politicians saying this is an essential investment, it can be awfully hard to to stop that momentum. So that's why we keep seeing these mega projects, you know, coming down the road. Um, and of course, not only are the benefits of the mega project exaggerated, the costs are minimized. You know, people don't tell you how much it'll cost. And of course, the trade-offs are never squarely put before the public either. They're asked to judge each project in isolation. And, and I think that leads to this, you know, this tendency to big to build mega projects that then go over budget and to the neglect of taking care of what we have. Let's say that we're in January of twenty seventeen and you have been invited to come and testify in front of Congress and meet with the presidential transition team and, and provide some advice on this idea of a surge in infrastructure spending. What what's the thing that you're gonna tell them? that they should really be aware of so that this works out well and doesn't become something that, uh, that, that really hurts cities in the long run, but, but actually makes them better. That's great. Uh, so look for places where there's an actual gap still in federal investment and rail and broadband is one highways is not, we've got plenty of them. We've got plenty of freeways. In fact, we need to take a few out, you know, where they're aging and, and damaged places Two. Economic success of our country depends on successful places. And what we see right now, you know, we're going to the places that are 
exciting and interesting and have a mix of diverse uses and a lot of housing in them. And cities are thriving, and more places can thrive if they, if they get investments in them. So send the money to the cities, because that's where the action is. Amazon isn't coming to the city of Seattle uh, because it's an easy place to drive around. In fact, it's a hard place to drive around. They're coming here because it's an exciting place, and this is where all the talent is going to. Um, so you need to invest in these places and let more people participate in them. Maintenance would be the next thing I'd say, and uh, I'd reiterate the jobs argument I made earlier here, which is if you really want to create jobs, maintenance will give you more jobs per dollar, and you don't need more mega projects. You need to take care of what we have. Uh, those would be messages I'd, I'd make. And, you know, I'd make one more. Um, in places like Seattle and San Francisco and all of these popular places, we have a tremendous housing shortage. And housing is infrastructure, too. So anything you can do to encourage cities to build more housing so that people of all economic levels can live there, so that they can still be places for immigrants to come to and settle um, and, and help make these places vital as they've done. You know, housing is infrastructure, too. So, so help with the housing also. And I guess that would be my message. Let's see if I could fit that into two minutes of testimony or not. That's about what they give you, too, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, I, I was a Sanders backer, so I'm not sure that the Clinton transition team is going to be contacting me in this, in this <laughs> anyway. And, and, that, and I think they've got to have lots of people clamoring for them. But it's a great thought exercise to, to think about what's, what's the right thing for that transition team to be thinking about in terms of building infrastructure and, and building great places and building our economy. If you want to hear more from Mike McGinn, You, Me, Us Now is his podcast, which I, I highly recommend. Mike, where else can people get a hold of you? Oh, that's, that's the primary place. And you can, you can, I'm still hanging on to Mayor McGinn for my, for my Twitter handle if you want to find me there as well. Yep, perfect. Hey, thanks for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. This great insight and it's going to add a lot to the conversation. Thanks, Chuck. And thanks for all the work you do. At Strong Towns, making our towns better. I'm coming out your way soon, and I, I hope we can get together when I do. I feel like I just murdered your tagline, Chuck. No, you're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Okay. You, you take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah. 